0: This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Crismire. Viewpoint is a one-hour open-line talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home.
1: To express your viewpoint, please call 804-754-1988. That's 804-754-1988. And now, with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Crismire. A new study has... Dare we say, reveal the condition of professing Christians today. I'm going to share this with you, and then I have an interesting question for you. If the facts as set forth in this study are true, then why, why in the world did God the Father need to send Jesus, his Son, as Savior? With that in mind, here we go with this study. 176 million American adults identify as Christian, but only 15 million, or 6%, actually hold a biblical worldview. Among the errant perspectives most widely embraced are these. 72% argue that people are basically good, 71% consider feelings, experiences, or the input of friends and family as their most trusted resources of moral guidance. 66% say that having faith matters more than which faith you pursue. 64% say that all religious faiths are of equal value. 58% believe that if a person is good enough or does enough good things, they can earn their way to heaven. 52% claim that determining moral truth is up to each individual and there is no moral absolute, no more absolutes at all that apply to everyone. Rather stunning, isn't it? It seems to me that it's very stunning, but the real question that came to me is, if this be true, then why was it necessary for Jesus to come? If 72% are actually good, basically good, and 71% consider their feelings and experiences or the input of their friends and family the most trusted sources of moral guidance, and 66% say that having faith matters more than which faith you pursue. In other words, you can believe anything you want. 64% say that all religious faiths are of equal value. Then why... Should Jesus have come? That's a hovering question today on Viewpoint. I'm glad that you've joined us. It's conversation, as always, with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. And we know in the book of Matthew, we are told that God told Joseph that he was to give a name to Jesus his son. And what name was that? He said, his name shall be called Jesus, or Yeshua, or Yahshua, meaning God saves. Now, isn't that interesting? If his name was to be God saves, but we can save ourselves by being good, We can save ourselves by believing whatever we want to believe as long as we have nice feelings and religious feelings or feel spiritual. Then we didn't really need Jesus, did we? No. Our feelings save us. Or whatever faith we choose to have saves us. Or just being good saves us. Very interesting indeed. Yet the Bible tells us that he was born to be king. Remember when the wise men came to Jerusalem and they went directly to the king, Herod, and they asked him a very specific question Where is he that is born king? King of the Jews. For we've seen his star in the east and we've come to worship him. Born king. Why did we need a king to be born if we were going to be king, if we were going to save ourselves? You see the problem with the thinking. In reality, The majority of people today on our planet, including many, many professing Christians, actually believe that we are our own saviors. We didn't need Jesus at all. It's a fascinating picture, yet that's exactly what the prophets had foretold would be taking place in these end times. It's exactly what the Apostle Peter talked about, what the Apostle Paul talked about, what Jesus himself talked about. That in these end times, we would be lovers of ourselves. We would become our own I Am. Yet God himself said to Moses, His name would be I Am. That would be his universal and eternal name, I Am. Yet today, we believe we're our own, I Am. It's fascinating, isn't it? In fact, so fascinating, you might be very interested, come next spring, to get a copy of my new book, which is about to be finished, called Messiah. Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages. Messiah, Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages. Look for it, friends, because it is going to be a fascinating read. Indeed, it's been fascinating to write, but it's going to be perhaps even more fascinating for you to read. And so, we want to take a look at some prophetic implications concerning the Christmas story. You could call it end-time prophetic signs revealed in the Christmas story. We know from the beginning that Jesus said, that God said, he is the image, that is, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, where by him, that is, Jesus, Yahshua, all things were created that are in heaven and that are in earth, both visible and invisible. All things were created through him and for him. So if we are to take a look at the Christmas story, Christmas, the birth of Jesus, was not the beginning of Jesus Christ. Did you know that? it was not the beginning of Jesus Christ. Because he is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. In fact, if you were to read in the book of Revelation, you would find in chapter 22 where Jesus says, I am, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. So why his birth? If he already existed, Why did he need to be born? We'll be back. This is Viewpoint. He was born a babe. They laid him, wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Born to be king. They lay him in a manger. And we've kept him in the manger. We're continually keeping him in the manger because, well, maybe it's subconscious but we just don't quite want him to be king. Just can't quite get there. Because we know somehow that if he really is king, then we're not. If he really is king, then I'm not my own, I am. If he's really king, and I don't agree with what he says, I don't agree with what he tells me to do, how he asks me to live in righteousness and in holiness, in purity of mind and heart, then I have to keep him in the, in the manger. I just have to keep him in the manger because there just isn't room in my heart for him. We sing a Christmas song, there is room in my heart for him. Perhaps the better way to phrase that today would be, is there room in my heart for him? Is there room in my heart for him? Because actually, he wants to rule and reign from the temple of my heart. But it's very hard for him to rule and reign from the temple of my heart if the temple of my heart is not pure. Do you remember back in the days before Jesus, the days of the Maccabees, the days of the Maccabees when Antiochus Epiphanes came and uh, destroyed the temple and defamed and defiled the temple by offering a swine on in the temple, on the altar. And they came in and they purified the temple. Why did they have to purify the temple? Why did they have to cleanse the temple? Because God is God. God is God and he's not going to come into a place that is defiled yet the Apostle Paul said don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit if you knew that your body was the temple of the Holy Spirit that God wants to rule and reign from the tabernacle or temple of your heart then why do we live the way we do why do we do the things that we do Why do we fail to do the things that God would have us to do? Why do we conduct ourselves in sexual immorality, deception, lying, all kinds of distortions and perversions of a pure life? Maybe, just maybe, we can get some hints from the Christmas story about this matter of purity about this matter of God's expectation that we live a pure and holy life. In fact, the Apostle Paul writes concerning our marriages that we are to be pure and holy before him, that our marriages themselves are to reflect the purity and holiness of our relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, the Scripture says that he's not coming back. The baby born in the manger to come back as king is not coming back for a bride with spot, wrinkle, or any such thing. No spot, no wrinkle, no such thing. must be blameless, pure, and without holiness no man will see the Lord. So then why did God choose Mary? Let's think about that for a moment. Why did God choose Mary to be the mother of His only begotten Son, full of grace and truth? We're going to find that out. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin. And the virgin's name was Mary. Then the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus, Yeshua. And that's exactly what Joseph then called Mary's son. He wasn't actually Joseph's son because Joseph had not had sexual relationships with Mary, even though they were betrothed. They were in the waiting period before the consummation, according to Jewish pattern and tradition. But in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin And the Virgin's name was Mary. Where can we find a Virgin today? Where can we find a Virgin today, even among Christian young people? Have you thought about that? It's interesting because there was a legal case that occurred a few years ago in France. It involved a Muslim man and woman, and the Muslim man discovered after he had married his betrothed that she was not a virgin. And so he filed to have the marriage set aside or annulled. It caused a stir in France. This case caused a major stir in France. You know why? Because they were beyond belief that any man marrying a woman in France could ever expect her to be a virgin. It's true. They could not believe that you could have any Reasonable expectation that the one you were marrying was a virgin. Is that shocking to you? Maybe not. Because today in America, it is almost impossible to find a true virgin. the majority of our young people end up having sex before marriage. It's become the thing. It's just what we do. So if God today was going to need to find a virgin in which to impregnate by His Holy Spirit, where would He go? To whom would He go? This is a fascinating question, friends, because if Jesus Christ is returning and he's not coming back for a bride with spot, wrinkle, or any such thing, in other words, he's coming back for someone for all who are pure and holy before him, and God couldn't even find a virgin... We don't have time to go through all of the various statistics concerning the lack of virginity in our country today. But in France, they had no expectation that any young woman would ever be a virgin. But the court saw otherwise. The court in France saw otherwise, in fact, The court concluded that it was appropriate for that husband to set aside his wife on the basis that she was not a virgin. Why was that? It's because he had the reasonable expectation that she would be a virgin. It was part of Islamic culture their religious basis, their religious uh, convictions. And so he had every reasonable expectation that she would be a virgin. Now, she may have also purported that she was a virgin. I do not know. But the court concluded he had a reasonable expectation to believe that she was a virgin, and therefore, on that basis... He basically had been defrauded. And the court set aside the marriage. I have an interesting question for you. If such a case were to be brought before the court today in America, and you were the bride, be you male or female, you were the bride, And Jesus was the bridegroom who had brought the case before the court to set aside the purported marriage between you and him. What do you think the court would say? (laughs) Will you say, well, You know, that was before I became a Christian. I was not a virgin. All right, well, how about since you became a Christian? When Jesus, Yeshua, the one who was born in the manger to save us from our sins, said, You have heard it said of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, Whoever hath looked upon a woman to commit adultery, to uh, have lust in his heart, has already committed adultery in his heart. And how about the 70% of professing Christian men who admit to being engaged in pornography? How about the 34% of Christian women who admit to pursuing female pornography Would God select you to bear the Christ child? It's a fascinating concept, isn't it? Aren't you glad that we have a merciful God? (laughs) Aren't you glad that we have a merciful God? On the other hand, his mercy does not extend to putting up with our immorality. Just does not. Because he's not coming back for a bride with spot, wrinkle, or any such thing. You can see why Jesus was born. He was born to be king. He was also born to be savior. And maybe it's time for some even who are listening to this program today, maybe family members and so on. The reality is this problem is so pervasive in our culture and in our world that we need to have a mass confession and a falling on our face in repentance so that we can be presented as a holy bride before the Lord. In fact, the Apostle Paul said in his writings, that I am seeking to prepare you as a chaste virgin before God. Why did he say that? Because God is expecting us, if we are to be betrothed to his husband and to, to his bridegroom, Jesus, who is coming again for a bride dressed in white to be presented holy and blameless before him we got a lot of work to do some holy work to do would God select you to bear the Christ child we'll be right back after this To talk a little bit more about this young lady, Mary, it's amazing
0: that God chose her. There is so much more about Chuck Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, on the front page are two great videos. First, an interview and discussion of Chuck's book, Out of Egypt. Also, a great TV interview with Chuck regarding his book, Seduction of the Saints. Much more videos, a for pastors only section, and also you can view Chuck's weekly teachings. All at his website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. Also on Chuck's website, listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast. Listen to the archives. Maybe you missed a program. Check it out at saveus.org. Also, there are some great resources, hospitality information, also information about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, newsletters, articles, prophecy, prayer and revival information, all at saveus.org.
1: Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chrismeyer. Imagine the God of the universe sending an angel out of heaven to the city of Nazareth to have an intimate conversation with a young lady probably somewhere between 13 and 15. And that one conversation with God would completely, radically shift her life into a prophetic destiny. And that prophetic destiny would be unlocked because of her purity. Her prophetic destiny would be unlocked because of her purity. Jesus, you'll remember, in the Sermon on the Mount said, Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. The babe that was born in the manger to a woman pure of heart and life turned around and said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This idea and expectation of being pure and holy before God is so pervasive from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible that it's almost impossible to miss it if our eyes are open. When the Scripture says that without holiness no man shall see the Lord, it's really talking about the fullness of purity before God. Not just purity of actions, but purity of attitude. And purity of behavior. For those of us who want to step into our prophetic destiny in these last days and prepare the way for the return of Christ, we have to never lose sight of the power of purity. The power of purity. You remember when the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, and uh, he said, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, or the foundation of God stands pure, having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his, and, here it is, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. In other words, depart from the ways of impurity, the ways that are creating blemishes, spots, and so on in our gown, the gown of our life, making us unpresentable to the coming bridegroom. We like to think, yes, Jesus is coming soon. Or many like to think that anyway, and he is. But again, he's not coming back for a bride with spot, wrinkle, or any such thing. He's not coming back for those who are practicing and living lives of iniquity which involves many things. It's not just sexual impurity. Lives of drunkenness, addiction, deception, lying, cheating. The tears come to my eyes because having spent 20 years in the practice of law, 80% of my clientele being from the broader body of Christ, I have seen the underbelly of the body for 20 years. After 35 years of pastoral ministry in various ways and broadcasting for 26 and a half years, I have seen the underbelly. The body of Christ is not pure, not even close. Not even close. Are we really the body of Christ? Are you sure? Are you sure? If we are to bear the Christ child, the living Christ in and through our hearts, are you sure that we're part of his body? This is not a casual question. This is a real question, if indeed we believe that he's coming soon. Andre Crouch, you remember back there in the 1970s, wrote the song, Soon and Very Soon, We're Going to See the King, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. The Gaithers wrote the song, The King is Coming, The King is Coming. I can hear the trumpet sounding. If we really believe that, would we not be conducting ourselves differently? Would we be not more like Mary, to whom the Holy Spirit came through the angel Gabriel? Blessed are you among women. Let everyone who names the name of Christ, Yeshua, depart from iniquity. So if you and I desire, and I believe you do, listen, we're all in this together. Yours truly, as I share these thoughts with you solemnly and soberly, yes, here on the eve of the celebration of the birth of Christ, we're in this together because God is looking for a pure and holy bride. So if we desire to step into our prophetic destiny and be used by the Master, we have to make purity a non-negotiable. Purity, then, positions our lives, your life, my life, to prepare the way for the return of of Jesus Christ, called Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. Aren't you glad that the beloved disciple John wrote in John 1.9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness or all impurity. So, purity then sets the stage for the prophetic promise of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who would be conceived in the womb of Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit. Mary didn't know such a thing like this would come to pass, but apparently she positioned her life in a place of purity so that the Holy Spirit could come upon her, could be she could be selected by god to bear the holy one of israel yeshua jesus christ the one who would save his people from their sin and so when the angel came to her the word of the god of god was spoken over mary's life through the angel how did she respond immediately she responded let it be to me according to your word. Let it be to me even according to your word. Would we say that today? Are we conducting our lives in such a way that we could even conceive the thought in our minds that we also can bear the Christ child or the image of Christ in our own lives? Doesn't the scripture say Christ in you, the hope of glory? How can we truly expect or believe that Christ is in us, the hope of glory, if indeed we are impure? That we're not seeking to walk in purity and in holiness and in righteousness. Maybe now we can understand a little bit better why Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and his pure way of living. Unfortunately, we just kind of shun that expectation today. First of all, we're not so happy that he would be king. We would rather he be our buddy, We want Jesus to come alongside and cuddle with us. But we don't see him as a reigning king. But he came as a babe for the very purpose of being a reigning king. In fact, he was king when he was born. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? So if we are not conforming to the expectations of his kingdom, of his kingship, then whose kingdom are we part of? You see, we have to start thinking through some of these things, and it's not that difficult. Whose kingdom, then, are we really part of? The Jewish leaders that Jesus accosted there during his ministry said, you sound as if we're not Of our father Abraham we are of our father Abraham we're the children of Abraham they argued and Jesus said look if you were the children of Abraham you would do the works of Abraham in other words you'd obey me you would show your trust in me by obeying me but you don't therefore here's what Jesus said this is the one born in the in the manger He said, you are of your father, the devil. He was speaking to the religious leaders of Israel, who supposedly were revered as leading the people in the ways of God. That was their perspective, but it wasn't Jesus' perspective because they were impure. They were impure, not only in body, but impure in heart. They were not prepared to receive the Holy One of Israel. We'll be right back. Stay tuned, friends. Have you ever considered what the
0: early church was like? Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to save us.org and click sell church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's save us.org. Click sell church.
1: Gentle Jesus, sweet and mild. We still see him as a babe in a manger. Yet he was born king. He was born to be ruler of the earth and our hearts and our lives. And he's coming again. He came the first time to save us from our sin. His name was said to be Jesus, Yahshua, meaning God saves. He was the incarnate God. He was the physical demonstration of God. He was God in the flesh. He was God, Jesus was, he, he was God with skin on to reveal two things, grace and truth. We like the grace part, but we don't like the truth part. And the truth part requires purity. Purity of life, purity of heart, purity of thought, purity of expectations, purity of hope, purity of life. So, positioning our lives for the prophetic purity, for the prophetic expectation of Christ through purity carries a power that we cannot underestimate. Just can't underestimate it. This is the big deal, friends. Mary's position of purity would become the foundation in the fulfillment of the prophecies of the coming Messiah. In and through the word of God. The word was implanted in a pure womb of a young virgin. You know, as we think about this word virgin, there are many, even within Israel, rabbis and pastors now who don't much like the word virgin. And so they're trying to say that, well, when Isaiah spoke of a virgin... It wasn't really a virgin. It was just a young woman. It wasn't really a virgin. It was just a young woman. Really. That disembowels the whole expectation of the gospel. The Bible is a a completeness in itself, and everything is related to everything else. And purity is the foundation of trusting God, of believing him, of walking in his word, his will and his ways. And for the very Garden of Eden, we find when Eve disagreed with what God had said, even though she quoted it back to Satan, the serpent, she still disagreed with what God had said. In other words, she was not a spiritual virgin at that point. She fornicated with Satan, or adulterized with Satan, spiritually. And that's why the Bible uses sexual language throughout the entire Old Testament and then into the New Testament to describe our spiritual lives. God repeatedly, through the prophets, spoke to Israel and her leaders as being adulterers and fornicators. Yes, they were adulterers and fornicators in the flesh, but they were also spiritual adulterers and fornicators. And we're in grave danger of that even today. About 20 years ago, an article, a short little article, came out in Time magazine. The title was, In So Many Gods We Trust. In so many gods we trust. In other words, as Americans, even 20 years ago, we were frolicking and fornicating spiritually. It's not just something that just happened. It's something that we have allowed to happen in our lives, in our behavior, in our attitudes, in our ways over many, many years now, and we are at a position where the broader professing body of Christ is absolutely, unmitigatingly, unready for the second coming of Christ. Unready. The angel said to Mary, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. God was not about to have the Holy Spirit impregnate Mary if she was impure. He selected a young virgin. Joseph had every right to expect her to be a virgin, and he did. So when it was discovered that Mary was pregnant, he was beside himself, considered whether to put her away. And that's why God had to come to him in a dream and say, don't do that, because that which is born of her is of God, of the Holy Spirit. So Mary said, Behold, I am the maid servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. If we're going to be ready for the coming of Christ in all of his fullness, not as a babe in a manger, but as a reigning king, as king of kings and lord of lords, we are going to have to come to the place, every one of us, pastor, priest, people, all are going to have to come to the place, including the Pope. Let it be to me according to your word. Because I have made myself ready. The Apostle John said, whoever has this hope, the hope of the second coming of Christ in him will purify himself even as christ is pure a lot of people will say out there well i can't purify myself isn't that why jesus came to save us from our sin? because we couldn't save ourselves that's true but he also expects us to walk in righteousness and in holiness and in purity of mind and heart and body And that's why the warning from the Apostle Paul, don't you realize your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? How dare you be out there fornicating and frolicking and all these things? How how dare you be doing that? No. It's time for us to come clean with God. Not to worship a babe in the manger, but to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so he is purifying our hearts, that he might present us, you, me, us, who prev- who claim his salvation as a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she, that is the church, you, me, men, women, should be holy and without blemish. Now here's the situation. We need to consider this. The scripture says that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away. Therefore, since all these things are going to be dissolved, the apostle Peter wrote, what manner of persons ought we to be in holy conduct and godliness? As we look for and hasten the coming of the day of God, which because, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. The question then before us is, how should we then live? We have to live like Mary, pure and holy. This is not to put inordinate emphasis on Mary. It's not Mariology or Mariolatry. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about God in the priorities of His kingdom and to prepare the way for your salvation and mine, chose a woman pure and holy. Even in her teenage years. Could he find such a person today? How about your daughter? How about your son? How about you? Hopefully. All of us will understand that it's time to prepare the way of the Lord for history's final hour. Hopefully, all of us will understand these times in which we're living. It's not about COVID, it's not about vaccines. These are just there to present and prepare pressure on our lives. The pressure is increasing, friends. You feel it? God will allow pressures of many, many types to come upon us in order to prepare us to be a holy and chaste bride before him. It is said that adversity turns man's hearts toward God, but prosperity turns our hearts away. God knows that. He is allowing great and increasing pressure to come upon us to get our attention, that he might present you and me his purported bride to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing that we should be holy and without blemish. Has he found you? Would you be a surrogate Mary to carry the Christ child today? Chaste and holy before God. It's interesting, friends. I may be speaking very slowly today, and it's true. It's because what we're talking about here is very sobering and very solemn. It is. It's so sobering and solemn that it's very hard for me to muster the words that are necessary to communicate how sober and solemn this really is. Yes, we want to sing joy to the world. The Lord has come. But the only way we're going to be able to truly sing from our hearts as we see the King of Kings coming as if our own hearts have prepared Him room. And the only way to prepare Him room is through repentance, to cleanse our hearts from all iniquity and impurity so that we can be presented as a chaste bride before Him. Let's seek the Lord with a whole heart. Perhaps this Christmas season will be the beginning of a whole new life of purity for you, for your family, for your congregation, my dear friend. Thanks for joining us. Have a blessed, blessed Christmas. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck
0: Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.